Hey guys, it's Josiah and... And this is Micah. We're here inviting you to the first ever Young Adults Today conference. Micah, when is it? It is March 13th and 14th of 2020. And you're going to want to sign up before February 13th because the early bird price is only $99 per liter. This is for teams. This is for volunteers. This is for interns, pastors, and key leaders, whether you're starting something new or strengthening something existing. We pray and believe that you'll leave feeling inspired, equipped with relationships that last a lifetime, new ideas and resources. And this is going to be an incredible rallying point. Micah, what are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing the names and faces that we've seen come across by just listening to the podcast. But in addition, being in a room of shaking their hands and just hearing what God is doing in their life. So we look forward. Sign up today at youngadults.today slash conference. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk and reach out to young adults in our world today. I'm joined today by my wonderful husband, Josiah, as he's joining me right here. And Josiah, we have an awesome guest today with yeah, we a do. very significant topic that I think whether you're in ministry, you're in missions, or you're in the marketplace, you can relate. So Josiah, would you be willing to introduce our amazing guest? Yeah, so honored to, in fact. We are joined today for this episode by one of the sharpest individuals I've ever met, Dr. Sammy D. Kim. And Pastor, Pastor Sam is the co-founder of 180 Church near Union Square in downtown Manhattan. Dr. Kim is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Hastings Center for Exploring the Crisis of Physician Burnout in Academic Medicine and Healthcare from an Ethical Perspective in Partnership with the University of Pennsylvania. He was also appointed as a research fellow in global health in social medicine at the Center for Bioethics at Harvard Medical School and part of Harvard Catalyst, where he explored and taught on inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies. He's a recipient of the Lifelong Learning Fellowship at Yale Divinity School and Yale Medicine, which aims to close the gap between faith and science. And Sam has been awarded by the John Templeton Foundation and AAAS, a passionate advocate for the immigrant and the most vulnerable, he was invited to the White House to join a conversation involving dreamers during the Obama administration. And Sammy played a key role along with other clergy in advancing policies that are supportive of dreamers and urging the passage of DACA and has continued his tireless advocacy ever since, including recent persuasive writing on behalf of more immigration policies and also one of the prominent evangelical, evangelical Christian leaders who opposed an executive order banning refugees from seven predominantly Muslim com countries covered by CNN and Washington Post. But Sam is a friend of ours. He's a regular con contributor on Christianity Today, the YouVersion Bible app, the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, and writes on church, culture, and Evangel evangelism. I know these words. He's having a rough time. You know, he just needs to take a deep breath. <gasps> it's a there long intro, but you're a, you're a husband, you're a dad, and you're friends. And I met Sammy at a Young Influencers Mentoring Day this past summer. And I'm telling you guys, get ready to learn. We're going to have a blast. We got to cut that bio down. I don't know what my staff did, but we got to we got to work on that. <laughs> 
We had to let to yeah. let everybody know that you are legit. You are you're worthy. You're we're worthy to be in your presence. Am, <laughs> no. Oh. Well, Sammy, we are so excited to have you here. You are you are a deep well of knowledge on Amen. several different levels. And just that intro is evident that you are a lifelong learner. You are passionate about the things that God has put in your heart, in your soul, and you're wanting to live those out. So we are so grateful that you would take the time to join us today. And we're just going to dive on in. And so we're just going to start out with the very first question. I'm just going to call you Sammy. Is that okay? Reverend Sammy, sure. Dr. There's so many, sure. there's so many words. Yeah. So Sammy, would there you go. I love it. So, Sam, would you be willing to share your life journey and how you actually met Jesus? Sure. First, uh, thanks so much, guys, for inviting me on and just hanging out. Uh, just hanging out with you guys is so fun. So thank you. I'm honored. Of course. Um, long story short, uh, although there were various experiences culminating to a life-giving moment to Christ, I would say at age 16, uh, I finally fully surrendered my life and direction to Jesus. Uh, it was at a, a summer camp, I believe, and I was wrecked by mm. my sin, my direction, my conviction, and surrendered the direction of my life. And I just said, Lord, you know, uh, I just give you my life. Do whatever you want with it. And ever since then, I would say, you know, be, being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and being passionate and having conviction of evangelism, just my life took a different turn from there. I would say that sort of sums up my experience. And, and Sam, you know this, that I love to pick your brain and ask you questions. You remember this in the yeah. airport and in our last meeting, but you're a lifelong learner. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that draws me to you. How did yeah. you become passionate about studying for the glory of God? Yeah, I think that there are two answers to that question. I think a lot of people uh, study because they, they seek validation or, you know, Paul says knowledge puffs up. And if anyone really got to the, the nitty gritty of doctorate degrees and research funding, no one is crazy about research like that because research is frustrating. Uh, empirical research is, in, in the academy, we say research, research. <laughs> you know, colloquial. But uh, it's a frustrating process. Like you can sometimes research for years and not get an answer because you're, you're trying to find truth from the data and you have to be able to prove it. Uh, so if anyone is seeking knowledge to look good, uh, one college student uh, at my church told me, uh, he, he, could you write me a recommendation for a PhD program? I said, why do you want to be a doctor? And he said, well, I just want to have doctor after my name. Mm. And I said, uh, that's not a good idea. The suffering involved is not good. For me, um, I studied because I was curious about questions I had but the only way I could find them was to study them. And, uh, you know, like Paul says, if we want to reach those who are different and who are outside of the church and different cultures, you have to understand them. And I think that um, what a lot of people don't realize about ac the academy is that most competitive admission process, schools, professional schools like Harvard Business, Wharton and others, the most things they teach you is how to listen to your environment and people. And if I want to reach those who are lost and those who are far from God, especially in the academy, especially 
those who are uh, in the elite institutions and right. you know some of the professions, then we have to really respect them and honor them by understanding them. And that's what led me to study more. I, it's not like I liked it in <laughs> any way. <laughs> Well, you are obviously a very high capacity individual and there's this just just innate desire to learn and to go deep. So would you be able to tell us the narrative of what it was like planting a church in New York while also lecturing at Harvard and Yale? Yeah, yeah, I know. The travel, it's so annoying. Uh, but <laughs> Do you, you know, ever I wish you could teleport? My, uh, huh? <laughs> Do you ever wish you could yeah. teleport? <laughs> I know. Like Philip, right? Yes. <laughs> That's one spiritual gift I would like. Um, <laughs> but I always give this story about church planning in what I call the concrete jungle, which is Manhattan. Um, I tell a story about uh, having too much confidence and jumping in an exotic uh, beach in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I miss these signs that had skeletons on them with a few friends <laughs> and eventually we ended up, it was really fun at first. It seemed like an eternity of, of uh, you know, just in the water. But after about 10 minutes, we were about a hundred feet away from shore. And the, the riptide kept pulling us back over and over again, even though you swam forward. And church planting is a lot like that in the concrete jungle. Um, you keep paddling, but in hindsight, you feel like it's gonna end up killing you. And I would say that church planning was very difficult in the upper jungle, especially trying to reach the universities in a secular environment. Um, but through, you know, it's amazing. Paul talks about in our weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. Mm -hmm. We began to see the power of God move. Um, and why I actually went to study at Harvard and Yale eventually, and then, you know, become scholars in both institutions was because I had questions that came out of the environment of New York, which is physicians began to, talk about suicide and depression and burnout. And I was like, well, then I think I should probably go to a medical school and study this so I could, again, understand them better. And that's what led to that. And um, it was by God's grace, we managed it. It was, it was rough. The travel's rough. But um, again, I see myself as a, an evangelist first uh, to reach those who are far from God and those who are suffering. And that's what led to that. And so part of your expertise from studies is physician and pastoral burnout. And there is research, there's data comparing two totally different caregiving professions or really their callings. Could you give us a look into some of those findings? Yeah. Well, the major burnout inventory, most academic medicine and even uh, pastors are beginning to use in, in studies mass like uh, burnout inventory uh, it was invented from the Stanford experiment if you guys ever seen that on Netflix there's, there was a psychological experiment done in Stanford um, that created this inventory of burnout and it's three layers uh, the first is emotional exhaustion second layer is uh, depersonalization and the third layer is personal satisfaction and so for for let's start with physicians, um, the, their burnout is not depression. You got to differentiate that because depression is a personal struggle. Burnout is a professional stu uh, mm -hmm. struggle and it's systemic factors that bring that. If they were to quit 
or resign being a physician, they would no longer struggle with those symptoms. Wow. So that's very uh, important to differentiate first. And I would say that in physician burnout, uh, just there's so many driving determinants and factors that pull and push them toward emotional exhaustion, right? I mean, they're working 60, 80 hours a week in a very intensive, uh, and a lot of academic hospitals are in very uh, deep embedded urban areas where there's a lot of things happening, like crime and many things that they're dealing with. And also systemic factors where patients they see um, might come back and not even listen to their advice. So they feel a sense of hopelessness that comes about. And even the relationships inside um, the, the residency programs, like they're the smartest people competing against one another in many ways, even though they have to work as teams because they're looking to get to more mm -hmm. competitive uh, jobs afterwards. Um, the main problem is really the relationships inside. Uh, physicians have a hard time being honest with one another and there's a culture of blame. Mm -hmm. So eventually, not only are you overworked and overstressed and trying to prove yourself every day, the people you work with bring a lot of additional pain. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of physicians would say they would never become a physician again. More than half actually say they wow. would become a physician. Um, so that's one part of physician burnout. And the main difference between uh, physicians and pastoral is that physicians don't have a any autonomy like they can't control their schedule like you ask a physician hey can you go to dinner i don't know because they can't control it there's it's completely controlled by the system versus pastors they have very similar um healing kind of uh mechanisms right you keep seeing people your your job never ends uh but pastors have a great deal of autonomy they can create their schedule that they want and it's not dictated by like a, you know, by anyone typically in a congregation. So uh, even though they have similar driving forces that bring burnout, uh, they do have a very powerful protective layer, which is you can create Sabbath rest in that life and rhythm mm -hmm. versus where physicians can't wow. in any way. That's, that's so fascinating to look at and kind of parallel those. But more on the pastoral side of burnout, um, Sammy, in a world that's constantly pushing and pulling at us, kind of like that tide you were talking about, how do, yeah. we pay, how do we learn how to pace ourselves as pastors and leaders? And, you know, you kind of alluded to Sabbath, but how do we manage that pace? Yeah, well, Dallas Willard once said, there's one thing, one goal of spiritual formation, that's to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So good. To ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And the, the truth is, uh, for young adult pastors, your life is gonna get busier with kids. You have soccer practice, you have volleyball practice, basketball practice, and then you have this and that, recitals, then college admissions and the SATs, it'll never ever get less busier. So therefore, there is an intentionality, a deliberate, uh, you know, mechanism that you have to create. And you say, no, no more. And you have to create rhythms of Sabbath rest. The interesting thing about pastoral burnout that uh, Yale looked at versus uh, physicians was that in the third domain of burnout, which I said, life satisfaction, most pastors they, they interviewed 
had a very high level of satisfaction, even though they were very emotionally exhausted, deeply emotionally exhausted, and they did feel depersonalized. They felt a very high uh, sense of satisfaction because in a sense, right? I mean, why do ministers do what they do? They feel a transcending call mm -hmm. to preach the gospel. And, and one of the questions they asked the Yale was, well, how could that be? How could you be so burnt out emotionally and then be so happy hmm. internally. Wow. And one of the things I said was, well, if you look at the model of Christ, and if he did an inventory, I mean, look at the crucifixion, Gethsemane, he was emotionally burnt out. He was, I mean, I mean, Psalm 22, he quoted from the cross, right? Like, God, why have you forsaken me? Right. But would you say in Hebrews that he, the joy set before him, he entered the cross? But the only problem is Jesus was poured like a drink in three and a half years of public ministry. And then the Sabbath, his Sabbath was glory, heaven, returning mm -hmm. to the Father. Wow. Pastors don't have that cycle, three and a half year cycle where they experience death, resurrection, and then the Sabbath of heaven, right? And we go on for 50 years, 30 years. And so I think that pace taking from extracting from the biblical narrative is every three and a half years, just from the chronology of scripture, there has to be a very powerful interruption. Whether your ministry is really taking off or really suffering, you gotta take some time and experience that resurrection renewal. There has to be some type of renewal. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an amazing narrative to look at the person of Jesus. We're Christians, we're Christ followers, and we would do well to emulate him. But I, I, I think that there's an in inherent struggle for humanity and human leaders, Christian leaders, to, as pastors, be okay resting while Christ works. Yeah. And would you say anything in response to that? Yeah, I think that... What I would say to that is that the struggle to mitigate burnout or mitigate sin from the, the element of life is impossible, right? Like you're never going to get a zero, uh, eliminate sin or eliminate complete temptation to work a little more because identity is so closely linked and validation is so closely linked to our work. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say we do have to find ways to limit and limit the temptations somehow with accountability groups, with sure, friends, sure. especially for our spouses. Like we have to try to limit it somehow. And I think that's what we're trying to work towards. That's amazing. Thanks for going off script there for a second. And Sam, the, sure. the rise of social media is a unique phenomenon right now. And it's yeah. changed two things. One, how ministry itself is done and this online reach, global connection, technology, interconnectivity. And it's also created another set of challenges for leaders to be emotionally, spiritually, and mentally healthy. And I look at Jesus' model for a second. One of my favorite passages is Jesus as a boy. Luke 2.52 grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. So I see this model of Jesus. He grew mentally, he pursued mental health, he pursued physical health. He also grew in spiritual health and awareness with the Father and 
lastly, he, he grew socially with favor with others and relationally. And what is the research telling us about the rise of social media and the impacts maybe leaders may feel as a result? Yeah, well, I think that social media is a microcosm of everything in the human heart, good and bad. And so the two things that we experience is contrast and comparison. And that's highlights and bloopers, right? And the problem with social is that it only curates highlights. You know, no one shares that I got fired in my job today. Um, I was thinking of, had, had uh, anxious thoughts today. No, no one shares, uh, illuminates their struggles. When everyone, studies have actually proven that by 2050, 50%, over 50% of the country will have be struggling with some form of depression and anxiety or some kind of mental illness. Wow. The CDC study, this is actually done about uh, five years ago. And so everyone is struggling. Everyone's on the struggle bus. It's just that no one, it doesn't seem like it. And therefore most, if you go to a counselor's office, most, the first thing people bring up is why are these people living better lives than me? You know, and that's because we're comparing our bloopers mm -hmm. to their highlights. And so I think for pastors, I mean, uh, what do people ask you, you know, when you first meet, hey, how many people, how many people are you running? And what's your position? What do you do? It's all about comparisons. And I mean, church is worse than baseball. We count everything, hmm. right? And um, as a result of that, and, you know, ministry is not this linear path, right? You see, Jesus is not linear. So not everything's going to look like everybody else's ministry. And you shouldn't be comparing, but you do. You can't help it because it's the fishbowl. Uh, so what needs to happen there is we have to be aware that this is not true. Mm -hmm. This is actually edited highlights of people's lives. And if you fall into it, what's going to happen? You're going to end up in a, in a cycle of despair. I think that's very true and a great way to to look at that and take a personal inventory of where am yeah. I where am I supposed to pull back in social media? What am I supposed to post? What am I not supposed to post? And we actually know um, a pastor who had, you know, we, we love following him, but we had said, how do you know what to post? And he goes, I look at the condition of my heart. Why am I posting this highlight? What am I hoping others will feel from it, get from it? Will they, will they be encouraged or am I just, you know, rubbing, you know, rubbing something in someone's face. And I think that's just a great inventory to look at that we are naturally in a state of constant comparison and trying to overcome that and overcome, you know, our neighbors or, or overcome our shortcomings in our personal lives, which I think is exhausting in itself, right? <laughs> Constantly yeah, looking yeah. at what everybody else is doing and you feel like you're the the car sitting on the road and everybody else is flying back past you at about a thousand miles an hour. And that's exhausting to constantly compare and compete and try to get ahead of who and what and why. So we, we know that the rate of burnout is, is high for pastors and high for physicians. Sammy, could you tell us about that? And what can we uh, learn as leaders who want to be in ministry for the long haul? How can we avoid burnout? Well, like I said before, I don't think you can avoid it because of the human element. You know, Jeremiah says the heart is the most deceitful thing above all else. We've seen the collapse in the last 20 years of mega mega church structures. Right. And even, and even the idea of leadership 
you know, like what a lot of people don't understand about the idea of leadership is that that word leadership is only 100 years old. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bible actually never uses the word leadership. It uses the word stewardship or servant. Being a servant or service, but it never uses the word leadership because before the Industrial Revolution and the, now the Service Revolution, there was no corporations. Corporations is a new invention. And so wh- I wonder if a lot of the reasons why we're burning out for, for varied reasons is we're trying to build empires. Wow. We're empire builders, not kingdom builders. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really at the heart of celebrity Christianity. Uh, building a platform completely through the ease of highlights. Um, and I think that's a, I, I, I wrote about this recently for CT that uh, I think that it's perpetuating a mm-hmm. unbiblical message of, of the church um, in, a, in a massive scale. So I think we have to come back to that question of our ambition and our, and our drive. You know, are we, yeah, we all want to do great things for God, but is it really for God, mm-hmm. or is it for personal validation? Because you know, you know what I hear from pastors every time they meet me. They're like, "Oh, you know, Harvard and this and yeah, you know." And, and the thing is, guys, I really don't care about the names. People are like, "No, you do." I mean, yeah, it's nice and everything, but it, it, it's just a vehicle, right? I mean, yep. a lot of pastors tell me I was never going to be a pastor because I'm too cool for that. <laughs> Like, what does that even mean? Pastors pastors are sacrificing their whole life to spread the gospel, right? I, I can't think of a more honorable profession. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a lot of pastors feel like, oh, that's that's just not enough. Hmm. I think there's this in, deep embedded part of us that wants validation. So we go into empire building and, and that's what leads to the unhealth. You know, you know, guys, at, at Harvard Medical School, they had 100% um, participation rate for a survey because of suicide and depression at Harvard Medical School amongst the faculty, students, and everyone. 60, over 60% of the respondents said, I don't belong at Harvard. Wow. Dang. So, okay, so when do you ever, when are, are you going to feel like I'm smart or I'm validated enough? Mm-hmm. You're a place like Harvard, now you feel like you're, you're, you're that they got the wrong person, that the, they sent the email wrong or they admitted you wrong. So it's like, it's never, ever going to stop. Right. Well, I even overheard a conversation this summer between two major league baseball players. And um, one of them asked the other, you know, like, you're really taking off this season. Like, great job. He's like, why do you think that is? And he's like, this year, I finally feel like I belong on the team. Mm. And I think it was like his fourth or fifth year. And me, my dream growing up was to be a professional baseball player. And that dream never (laughs) was realized. (laughs) And that's okay. I've come to grips with it, you all. This, but, But the thing is, I would have thought like, oh, as soon as I arrive in the major leagues, I, I got there. Like, but clearly that's not enough. It's not good enough yeah. to just wear the jersey. You've got to hit home runs. And it's not good enough to just hit home runs. You need a batting average. And all these pressures that we almost put on ourselves. And so, Sammy, the other thing that you said just a second ago was empire building versus kingdom building. And I've never yeah. heard anyone else share that delineation or differentiation that I think is so vital 
that I'm so glad you brought up and how we even became connected was this summer we had a shared experience at an event where Louis Giglio mentored a group of young pastors. And my takeaway from that is he asked the question, what's your why? Yeah. Is your why the glory of God, in in essence, kingdom building, or is your why empire building? He didn't say it like that, but I'm just drawing a parallel that even I realized those two might not be mutually exclusive. It might be I'm doing this for God and my glory. I'm trying to build God's kingdom and my empire. And so I've even realized this, but that might be one of the warning signs. But what other warning signs would you see with leaders that we can maybe look in the mirror that's almost like a gas gauge on our our panel of our car that the warning light goes off? But how can we yeah. how can we watch for some warning signs as as servants, not leaders? I'm going to change it as yeah. servants. <laughs> well, I think that I think that the the three domains um, you look at, you feel people are are becoming. You don't feel like a person anymore yourself, and you feel detached from yourself and others, and even God. Um, the, the, that triangulation, I think, would be a, a huge warning sign, a red flag of. You're coming to a place where you're now just in the mode of obligation and no longer passion. Hmm. And the spiritual fervor that grips you in conviction to want to give your whole life to Christ, that fire seems like it's been burned out or burning out for, for those reasons. Because if you look at the whole New Testament, the evidence for your spiritual fervor is the love for you have for yourself, for God, and for others. That that tripod. And so um, I would say that, that that's a big warning sign. When, when the phone call, people, it just becomes, you know, an obligation, no longer passion. And also, I think the gauge of emotional um, exhaustion, like mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even know how tired you are. And people got to get really good rest. And if you feel all tired all the time, I had a friend uh, who had who is 40, who planted churches, I think with the Assemblies of God too, somewhere in Boston, in, in a, he had to quit because his physical body was breaking down. He, he had no idea how much stress he was putting on his body. He had to have back surgery. And wow, he was just really promising leader that at the expense of, yeah, I think a duality of, of kingdom and also personal validation drove himself to the place of, you know, you know, physical unhealth. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think those are two kind of things you want to look at. Those are great to take a personal inventory. And like Josiah said, look at the gas gauge, look in the mirror. And maybe yeah. there's some listeners today that maybe you're, you're not experiencing burnout. You, you, you're new in the ministry. You're dedicating your work to the Lord. You're handing that over. You are stewarding and you are serving. And you're just honoring God in the process. So on the flip side, um, Sammy, I would love to hear... For the leader who wants to grow intellectually, maybe they're they're they feel like they're solid in all those other areas, and they're just really longing to grow intellectually in wisdom, how Jesus did, and obviously how you've demonstrated and modeled for us even today and through your past experiences. What advice do you have for them? I would say just two things: conquer your fear hmm. and learn to love truth. Hmm. First, conquer your fear. I think that. Academic excellence or or growing learning honestly has nothing to do with intelligence. Neuroscience, 
um, and studies are proving that the mind has a sponge. It can continue to learn and grow all through uh, as you get older. It's a, it's a myth. It's an empirical myth to believe that loss of memory or function comes with age and you can only learn when you're young. Neuroscience is proving that wow. the mind has a growing mindset. It's, wow. it's empirical. It's truth. Um, so why people don't excel academically is not because they're not smart. It's because they have a fatalistic mindset about their fear of how smart they are. And they gauge it. And when they enter, you know, hindrances. I mean, when you do doctoral study, the whole point is for other professors and other researchers to nail you. <laughs> and, and, and feedback is very hard to receive. Wow. You know, because you, you, we have this illusion of perfection and, and uh, this illusion that people are just really bright and they, they could just not suffer. But that's not true. Everyone has to conquer their limitations and learn to grow and, and learn mm-hmm. to think through things critically. So I would say conquer your fear. It's not that it has nothing to do with intelligence. Um, it has everything to do with conquering your fear and be like, okay, I'm going to accept this challenge. And then second, accept your love truth. No matter what people might say in the process of improve, improvement or growing, whatever we want to call it, are you? do you really want to find out what you're looking for, or do you just want to hear nice things, right? I think that if you love the truth, then the pain is worth it, and you're going to continue to work. And I think really that's part of improving uh, the critical thinking area and have developed a growing mindset is really learning to love improvement and, and knowing that you can continue to learn and grow, and there is actually no lid in neuroscience at all. You can continue to grow and know everything everybody knows if you work at it. So there's hope for all of us. That's a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <sighs> IQ, IQ is honestly going to become a myth. It's going to become a myth. It's really about a growing mindset and learning. Yeah, I guess one thing Josiah and I always talk about is something that got laid on my heart that you are never too old to learn and you're never too young to teach. So if you walk into a room, whether it's classroom, you're Harvard, or you're at a local coffee coffee shop, you have something to offer in every situation and every scenario if you apply yourself. And if kind of you conquer that fear Hmm. of approaching a stranger or an individual or even speaking up at a Bible study in our home personally with young adults and they're wanting to grow in truth and learn how to love truth. So recognizing that I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room, and I may never be the dumbest person in the room. But somebody, I can learn something from anybody and everybody. So that's awesome. That's fascinating, actually. I'll give you even a bonus. Let me give you a bonus. bonus Thank you. We need like a little ding ding. (laughs) So one of my my friends is actually the gatekeeper for Harvard Business School. He's the head of admissions. So Harvard, Harvard Business School is basically the you know, the gateway toward making billions of dollars for many people. <laughs> True. Um, and let me tell you what they look at. And most of all the applicants are similar who apply. They have similar stats. The, the difference of why someone gets admitted versus someone not is because of their posture. Mm. And, and, and honestly, from what I've learned from the admissions process and for all those listening, that posture to want to 
to, to say that I don't know everything. Hmm. And I love learning and I want to learn from you and, and others. The whole business model of Harvard Business School education is actually founded upon a case study model, which means they just do cases and everybody answers. And the way you learn is from each other. So if you learn every day from anyone, every, every single day, you're actually doing the same thing Harvard Business School is doing. A posture of learning. That is inspiring. And, and as we enter a new season of Young Adults Today, as we enter a new year of 2020 and even a new decade of the 2020s, one of the themes that we're seeing in our interviews is everyone has brought up having a posture of learning. Every single mm-hmm. person that we've interviewed, every conversation, it's been pointing to that Jesus, he picked up a towel and a basin and he humbled himself. So having that position of humility, teachability, Mm -hmm. and um, man, that is phenomenal. One question along that, I've struggled in my life, Sammy, to receive feedback at times because I'm a words of affirmation, love language person, and I do like compliments and I do have a more harder time swallowing the pill of criticism or good criticism like critical feedback, how, how can I and others grow in that one spot? Well, let me tell you this to reassure you and encourage you. Everybody has a problem receiving feedback. Everybody. <laughs> we did a study at Harvard that uh, every year, think about the feedback we receive from everything, from you know elementary kids receiving their report cards, test scores. I think it, it says that Every year, we see maybe 10,000 years cum of feedback, if you counted all the feedback. Wow. And one of the things they, just, they tried to do like 20 years ago was to try to teach people to give like nicer feedback, like tone or, <laughs> you know, the way you convey it. And, you know, <laughs> and, and because they thought surely if people were nicer and more encouraging and more affirming, people would receive the feedback better. Didn't work. It wow. turns out. Just people have receiving have a hard time receiving feedback because it's personal. Yeah. If you say you could do this better or you have a growth area or improvement area and you failed at this, people just <clears throat> take it fatalistically. But that's not just you. It's everyone in corporate America. It's everyone in the academy. It's, it's just, I mean, my, even our marriages and friendships. <laughs> hey, let me give you constructive feedback. <laughs> what? <laughs> my wife goes, let me talk to you. Why? <laughs> um, so one way you, you improve it is, is, is to know that um, even if 1% of the feedback someone's giving you, because sometimes it's not always good feedback. And sometimes it could be, the motive could be wrong. What if even 1% of the feedback is true? Mm. Would it help? Yeah. And I think that's where we have to go. We go, okay, you know what? How does it hurt me? to listen to different perspectives and to try to get a handle on what I can improve. It doesn't, it hurts at the moment, but if we get over the personal identity parts and understand that any feedback from anyone could see what I don't see could help me become better. I completely agree. I think Thank it's, you. That's easy. Good. it's easy to take a compliment when it's a positive one. It's challenging to be approached and whether it's being called out or whether it's a loving correction, even from a leader at times, that can be hurtful. But the thing is that we want to eliminate that personal component Mm. and take a self-reflective moment of, 
you know what? I do need to grow in this area. And those of us in the room, I've been there. I'm just like, I don't have a problem with X, Y, and Z. Like, if you're that person who says you don't have a problem, you're suffering with pride. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> you know, so if we can just humble ourselves in the in the, in the the room of, of leadership, um, whether you're young or old, I think that's just awesome to, to know that we're never going to arrive. We are flawed human beings. Where there's always room for growth. And obviously, we want to be growing more like Christ in his characteristics and what he's called us to do. Um, but Sammy, we've reached the point of the program where we want to learn more about you. Five questions okay. we've come to. Five minutes. These are our final thoughts. Josiah, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Sam, what has surprised you about college students and young adults? You know, what surprised me is that they have the greatest and biggest dreams. And, and I, I love that about them. Um, I also see there's a lack of grit a bit when challenges happen. Yeah. Um, I think those those dualistic tensions I see, if they can work on those two things, I mean, they might be able to accomplish the greatest things in our generation. Wow. That's cool. That's fun to hear. What is your favorite event that you've ever done or participated in with ministry? Uh, I would say the greatest event is I teach a course called basic and it, it, it's like alpha, but uh, one time we had over, I think 40 seekers in engineering, medicine, wow. and, you know, all different from the academy, just a, a, a mosaic of hmm. who are far from God, close to God, and, you know, somewhere in between. And, and it was one of the most amazing moments of seeing how the Holy spirit works orchestrating in city renewal. And just being, it's like a holy moment in that room. And um, and people have come to Christ through that. And it was a, an honor to be able to teach that course. Sounds amazing and inspiring. And so maybe it's a story from that event or somewhere else, but what would, what would one of your stories of life change that you've watched unfold? What would, what would one of those stories be? Well, I would say, one recent one is I wrote a piece about um, the border and immigration and refugees. Uh, it was a very viral uh, article on CT. Yeah. And uh, a lot of our church staff and, and church members posted the article. And uh, we heard back from Harvard, Duke, but we also heard back from the UN, hmm. a person who worked at the UN that uh, was a agnostic att attending and kind of checking us out once in a while. But she said, that she's never heard a minister or a church stand up for those who are most vulnerable. And it turns wow. out she was a refugee wow. herself who uh, studied really well and then eventually ended up doing social policy at the UN. And she, she told uh, one of our staff members, you know, it's the first time I ever felt like I could come to church because what you said in the piece was uh, more than a sermon could ever say. And so, I feel like that life change, that that gap of, you know, speaking to a social issue that matters, like refugees like her and her coming closer to Christ was very exciting and very moving for me personally. That's so fun to team up with the Holy Spirit and be able to be used yeah. as a leader and to see life transformation right before your eyes. And we would probably oh. consider those successful moments of saying yes to the Holy Spirit or saying yes to God and calling. 
And yeah. Sammy, we have many people listening. This is one of our favorite questions um, because we all have failures. We all make mistakes. We are not perfect, but we serve a perfect mm-hmm. God. So would you be willing to tell us an epic failure that you've experienced in ministry so far? She probably asked this to my wife. She knows a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I always say when we first started the church, I mean, it was, we were struggling so, so much financially. We had this big, big group of people that volunteered came and, um, a team of families, you know, and I just felt like at some points when we had, I don't know, we got like seven, eight eviction notices in the first two, three years, like every other month from like the commercial spaces we rented uh, it, it was just, it was a nightmare. And um, I say this to pastors all the time when I teach, and I just said it at Fuller, I said, you know, be humble because every pastor is literally two, three tragedies away from becoming an Uber driver. Mm. And, you know, I would say that success in ministry or even fruitfulness in ministry is really not up to you. It's the Holy Spirit in, in partnership with you. And I think we focus a lot on our part, but really at the end of the day, ministries are suffering and struggling a lot of times. So, uh, you know, my greatest uh, moments of where I felt like I failed was when I felt like, did I start something that made lives and families' lives harder? Mm-hmm. So that would be one. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Thank you for just being transparent and sharing that journey that... I'm sure we and a lot of others can relate to. And so to close, if you were to be able to leave a room of young adult pastors, college ministry leaders with one thing to encourage them today, what would you leave them with? I would say, um, ask the question, who do you really want to become? Because I think that integrity and personal character is the most important, whether your ministry becomes mega or not, because it will matter the most to your family and the people around your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing with the temptations of social and comparison to try to put your best side all the time. But I think the most important ministry is holiness. It's, it's who, who are you when no one is looking? Yeah. And I would say, Hey, that's the most important part of doing a self-inventory and asking the question, hey, who do I really want to be? And I think 30 years from now, that question will matter more than how many people you attend your church or what you accomplished, because in the end, it'll determine who you become like, and that's like Jesus. And if you don't become more like Jesus in 30 years from now, and you succeeded or failed, those things won't matter anyway. And so privately, are you more like Jesus? That's an amazing challenge. And I, I look at if you're if you're where you want to be, you can take another step closer to Jesus with that. That's a charge and an encouragement. Keep going. And if yeah. you do a self-inventory and reflect and you're not where you want to be yet, the good news is that's okay. Yeah. I'm not where I want to be. I, I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today. And a year yeah. from now and 30 years from now. And so I believe we're in good company because the vast majority of us, if we reflect, we're not where we want to be, but God loves us mm-hmm. right where we are. 
He says, come yeah. just as you are. And that's what I was always inspired that Billy Graham said. You don't need to shower and shave and come clean up. Just come as you are. And so mm-hmm. I would just say that for anyone listening to keep going and to, if you're not where you want to be, just take one step towards mm-hmm. that. And um, Dr. Sammy, thank you so much. What a great conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us. And we really appreciate all that you are and all that you offer. And you can find out more about Pastor Sammy Kim, 180 Church, as well as his ministry when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well as when you tune in online at social media across all platforms is at youngadults.today. So until next time, this is Josiah and Micah Keneally with Dr. Sammy Kim hosting Young Adults Not Today. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much, guys. Judge up right now, yeah.